Good morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. There's a lot of text to cover. I'm going to actually read the entire psalm. So we're going to take a few minutes here and read all of Psalm 107. And then we're going to kind of walk back through it together. So this coming week, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. So this Sunday, we're going to take a little pause before Justin wraps up Ephesians next week. And we're going to take a look at Psalm 107. And in some of your Bible versions, you'll see the heading, which is uninspired, but it is nonetheless the, the, the division created by uh, those that helped to translate Scripture. And it says, let the redeemed of the Lord <clears throat> excuse me, say so. And so this week, we're going to focus on true thanksgiving. Okay? Um, so let me read Psalm 107. And, and like I said, it is a long. It's 44, 43 verses. But we're going to see everything come to life through it and see these pictures of salvation uh, in this. So let's read Psalm 107 together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who He has redeemed from trouble. And gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, some wandered in the desert water uh, wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and, they, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Some went down into the sea in ships. 
doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert spring of water, into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there He lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By His blessing, they multiply greatly. And He does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, though oppression, evil, uh, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes but He raises up the needy out of, the, out of affliction and makes their family like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank You, Lord, for the opportunity to go through this beautiful psalm together. I pray that our hearts will be reinvigorated. I know that the majority of us will identify at some point throughout this text today. May our hearts be made glad and our sorrow be dissipated. And Lord, we just ask that You would do this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So this is quite a remarkable testimony of the power of the Word of God. This is what we just read. This is really a psalm of desperation. It's a psalm of thanksgiving from a people who have experienced desperation. So, I mean, you can just look. Verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord. Verse 21, let them give thanks to the Lord. Verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord. This is a summons for us as God's people, as His children, as His called out assembly, to be thankful. So who is supposed to give this thanks? Verse 2 answers that question for us right out of the gate. Let the redeemed say so. Let the redeemed say so. Here is a call for us who have experienced redemption, who have experienced the salvation of Jesus, who have experienced the loving kindness of His mercy, His deliverance, His rescue, His renewal, His restoration to give thanks. Now people will say all the time, I'm really thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my home. thankful for my job. 
thankful for this and that and joys and we're we're normally thankful for all of these really good things it's not often that you hear someone be thankful for the trials that they've experienced and the desperation that they've walked through it's not often that we it's not our default to thank god for misery and hurt and pain but as we see here this is something that even leads to greater joy and thanksgiving. So what are we thankful for and who are we thankful to? It's really important because we've said this time and time and time and time again. There's two types of people in the world. Those that believe and those that don't. And there are characteristics of those that believe and those that don't. And the obvious missing element for people that that don't know the Lord, is the thankfulness of the source of their joy or the thankfulness of the source of their provision. It's a missing element for those that don't know the Lord. So there are many, many, many millions of Americans that are going to gather this Thursday and they're going to uh, have a meal together and they're going to say, I am thankful for da-da-da. It's called Thanksgiving. But I would argue that the majority of those people don't really understand who it is that they're thankful to. They might be thankful for their family, but they will give the credit to their grandparents or to their great-grandparents or to something other than the actual source of their thankfulness because they don't recognize it. It's a characteristic of someone who doesn't know the Lord to not give honor and glory to the Lord. It's one of the basics that we've talked about when we talk about evangelism. We have to expect lost people to act lost. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, Paul sort of brings this to light for us. He explains it a little bit. and It's tough. It's hard words to hear. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. What Paul's saying is, the evidence of God is everywhere. And unbelievers still ignore it. It's right in front of their face. And they still ignore it. So they are without excuse. For the world and the thing... Uh, I'm sorry. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. We were talking about this a little bit in Bible study today prior to church. We were talking about uh, one of the questions that was asked was, does God hear the prayer of unbelievers? And we had a discussion about that. And, 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 and here, they, they might know about God, but they don't honor Him and give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts. That's, this is tough wording. Their foolish hearts are darkened claiming to be wise, they become fools 
exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What he's saying is God's evidence is in front of everyone's face and some people just flat out reject it. But as Christians, we don't offer this ambiguous thanks. We don't offer this this, uh, floating thanks to some unknown thing. We know exactly the source of our provision. It excites us, or it should. It should excite us. And so we, we back Thanksgiving up a little bit, and we say, yeah, we're thankful for this and that, and thankful for a beautiful home, and thankful for a family that's healthy, and thankful for all these things. But what this call today in Psalm 107 is to remind us of is not only the source of our thanksgiving, but what we ultimately should be thankful for. All we are and all we have, all we've ever hoped for, we give thanks to God. We know that He is our absolute source for everything. James says this in James chapter 1. He says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shade due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. It's a reminder that everything, even us, are provided by God. So this wonderful psalm is really a summons for us as we approach Thanksgiving. It's a reminder to us. Now contextually, at its time of writing, it would have been something that summoned the Jews. It would likely have been sung at a gathering. Uh, sung uh, particularly by the, 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 the redeemed people coming out of Babylon. And, and the psalm provides this great picture and reminder for them that God's divine work of redemption and redeeming and restoring Israel is because of His mercy and because of His love. Now, I want to read the opening three verses again as we get ready to talk about how we're going to break it up. As a nation, Israel was delivered. They were redeemed. They were rescued. They were restored by God through these centuries. Now, you can go back if you want to do a little extra study and then come next Sunday for Bible study as we discuss the sermon. You can go back and if you're taking notes, you can look at Exodus chapter 12 through 14. Exodus chapters 12 through 14. You can see how Israel was redeemed from Egypt to the south. 2 Kings chapter 19, you can go and you can read about how Israel was, was redeemed from Assyria to the north. If you want to go to 2 Samuel 8, you could go to 2 Kings 8, 17 or 18, and you could read how Israel was redeemed from the Philistines in the west. And then, obviously, the book of Ezra, and you can read how Israel was redeemed from Babylon to the east when they were brought back from their captivity in Babylon. 
So literally, verse 3, if you look at verse 3, let's read those first three verses again together. Then you're going to understand how this is all-encompassing. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The listening ear, in, in context, in its day, as they're singing it, would receive this. Some representing all of this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, and now He begins to personalize it. Whether it's historically for some people in the listening audience or absolute. Maybe some of these people listening to this psalm were actually uh, experiencing this. And he gathered in from the lands, from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south. And then he begins to make some comparisons, I guess we could say. So literally, verses 1-3 through specifically identifies Israel and says, everybody here can relate to what I'm talking about. Either historically or currently, you have been salvaged, you have been redeemed, you have been rescued from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west. They were gathered from lands in the east and the west and the north, and God renewed these people. And so all of Israel had experienced that. This then is a contextual writing but it is also a summons to current day believers not just sung by the Jews, but it is a call for us. So again, I remind you, it, it provides general pictures of God's deliverance. And they're applicable to the deliverance that we experience from the deliverance of sin. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 8, 11, He said that uh, that we would too, we would also, believers, come from the east and the west and recline at the table with who? Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob in the kingdom. So this connects us. This isn't just a specific psalm to the Jews, but it is now connected to the church as a whole. He has redeemed us, the church, His bride, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. So we too have received this same redeeming mercy, this same redeeming grace. And we join Israel together as we look at this psalm. And So there are some comparisons here. And again, if you're taking notes, we're going to break this down. We're going to look at verses 4-9. through nine, And we're going to see a, a redemption of a lost people being taken to a safe city. They're being led to a city of safety. And we saw that when we read it. Verses 10 through 16, we're going to see this second picture of God's redemption is like a captive prisoner being set free. Which is often which is which is why we read the, the text from Acts chapter 12, because Peter got to experience that same experience. Thirdly, we're going to see in verses 17-22 through 22 that God's redemption is like a sick person who has no appetite and they're on the brink of death and they're recovered to full health. 
We see that right here in this, in this psalm. And then lastly, we'll look at God's redemption. Being like a doomed sailor. Being rescued in a life-threatening storm. And so these are the four pictures that we're going to use to illustrate this. But not only that, within those four sections, we see a bit of a breakdown. And you can see it. it, it it's as if you drew an outline. There is a problem. There is a cry for help. And then there is a response from God in each one of these sections. You're going to see it. We're going to look at it distinctly. So that first one, a lost people being led to a safe city. So this is verses 4 through 8. So contextually here, the psalmist is probably referring to Babylon. They were on the brink of going out of existence. Babylon was a desert empire. Beyond that, we see some imagery here that can be described anything like trouble, destitute, lost. This is one of the reasons that we use the term lost as Christians when we refer to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Because it's literally like wandering around lost. Someone with no soul-supplying spiritual bread. Again, we talked about this in Bible study before church. If you're not coming for that, you should. It's a really great time together. And we were talking about how in the world, we were talking about some of the sufferings and some of the things that we had experienced, and how in the world did we experience that without the Lord? How did we even make it through some of those painful things without the Spirit of the Holy God? So they, the whole world is a vast, barren desert it's empty and threatening and deadly. So this is the problem. This is the problem and presented to us in verses 4-8. through eight. This is the comparison. We are wandering in this dangerous, dark place and here's the cry for help. Verse 6. They call to Him as the King of an eternal city. They're saying, you are our safe haven. You are, you are in the city that we need to get to. There are limitless resources and provisions and rest and security and satisfactions. So when the sinner comes to Christ because he has identified the problem, the problem is they're a sinner. The cry for help is you are the source of this solution. It says a few things. But what it doesn't say is straighten up your act and then come to me. Nowhere in that description. If, look, at, look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distresses. He led them, verse 7, by a straight way. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord. He didn't say, get yourself together, dust off all your shoes, clean up your act, and then I'll take you to the city of refuge. That's not, that's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He takes them straightway, right away, in your cry, God's response, the cry for help is, I am a sinner and I am in trouble and I need you. And God's response is clear. He led them straightway 
and satisfies them. We need to search no further than Jesus to find satisfaction. So we have this comparison of of a people needing a city of refuge and God takes us into the city immediately. The second illustration we see is of, uh, in verses 10 through 6, we see the comparison of a, uh, 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 of a prisoner. Okay, the problem here, and this could also depict probably contextually the Babylonian experience, it was the most, the most fresh redemption of the time. They were held captive in this pagan nation with no hope, no future. They were in hard labor, just trying to eke out an, an existence in a foreign land. And all along the way, the prophets had told them, you're going to go into captivity, but you're going to go into captivity. Isaiah told them about it. Jeremiah told them about it. But this is the illustration that we just talked about from James. Here we had prophets crying out to the children of Israel, don't turn away from God, you're going to go into captivity. Don't turn away from God, you're going to go into captivity. And again, this is that illustration of the sinner today. The evidence of God is everywhere. They've rebelled against God. They've disobeyed His Word. They've disregarded His Word. And they are chained to their own iniquities and sort of imprisoned in this dungeon. But their cry for help. When a prisoner gets so humbled and so recognizes their situation, they plead for help. There is a deliverance that only God can give in a situation like this. When I was sharing uh, my, my notes with Justin so that he could create the, um, the questionnaire for next week's Bible study, he sent me back an email and he said, hey man, when I'm reading your notes, this, this song comes to mind. And so I included it in, in the sermon because it, it really fit perfectly right here. Charles Wellesley, his song, And Can It Be, it says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light my chains fell off my heart was free i rose went forth and followed thee my chains fell off my heart was free i rose went forth and followed thee and he follows it with this amazing love how can it be that thou my god would die for me amazing love how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? This is the response of someone who recognized their imprisoned state and saw that the Savior Jesus was the light that illuminated his cell and drew him out of it. God's response to the prisoner is freedom. 
This is grace, folks. This is absolute pure grace. There's nothing achieved here. He's done nothing but recognize his situation and cry out, and God's response is freedom. I would actually describe it as graphic grace. Over the top. Unimaginable. And so the sinner's chains, just like what we read in Acts chapter 12 with Peter, they fell off at the word of the Redeemer. And he's brought from darkness into light. Not being anything that he's done, but in spite of everything that he's done. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 5 through 7 says this Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. This is what he says I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for my people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. God loves us that He would bring us out of the darkness. What a beautiful picture of a prisoner being set free here. And then we look at our third illustration in this amazing psalm. And again, we're going to see a problem, we're going to see a cry for help, and we're going to see God's response. The third illustration is simply this. Languishing in a sickness. Look at verses 17 and 18. Now as you know, uh, a couple years ago, uh, I was, uh, most of you know, but some of you may not, uh, my father was passing away from an illness and I would fly up to New Hampshire every five weeks and I would spend a week with my father and for almost a year and a half, I was at his bedside every five weeks. There's six kids. Each week, one of us would go there and assist my mom uh, as my father was passing into glory. And one of the, one of the signs, and, and, and some of us recently here uh, have experienced this with our, with our own parents or, or loved ones, one of the signs that someone is languishing in this illness or close to death is that they often refuse food. It, 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 it is something they just they stop eating. They begin to have no appetite for days, hours, weeks. They refuse to eat. And here in Psalm, in the Psalm, we see in this section that the comparison is made here. There's a problem. The problem is that there is an illness. There is a severe illness. It is deadly. Sin is a deadly illness. And that's what we see pictured here. Contextually, Israel would, would have looked at this like a sick person with, with, a, with a fatal disease while they were in this Babylonian captivity, that there would have been some sort of healing here. But when you're sick and when you're dying, you don't want to eat. You don't want food. You don't want the things that will actually help sustain your life. And the lost person, this is the comparison to someone who doesn't know the Lord. The, the, the food of the Word is in front of them. 
the life of, of, a, of a gathered assembly of, of Christians coming together and, and, and supporting and loving one another is right there in front of them. And they refuse that food. They, they push that food away. I don't want it. I'm dying. The thought of eating makes them sick. Sickness here is pictured and it's a severe sickness. There's a loss of appetite there. This, this means they're near death. You can see it today in this culture of, of having a disdain for the Word of God and a lust for death. But here we see the cry. Verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And then we see God's response. But His response is this. His response is, eat. Look, look, at, look at verse 19. He cried, uh, then they cried in the, to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. What's God's response in verse 20? Look at your, look at your Bible. He sent out His Word and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love. God's response is His Word to those who are sick and dying, to those who are spiritually on the brink of death. They have been refusing the food. They have had no appetite at all for it. And when they finally cry out to God, the first thing He does is give them His Word. This is life-sustaining. You need this. John chapter 1, verses 1-5. through In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God's response to the sick and dying unbeliever is His Word. He provides freedom. He provides healing. He provides His Word. This is the problem that we saw. The cry for help. And what does Jesus do? He heals and He delivers. And finally, we see verses 23-30, through 30, we see that final picture of the lost being redeemed. And it's this picture of being in a terrible storm. A life-threatening storm. We saw, we saw some of it. Paul experienced it in Acts chapter 27. Here's the problem. There's a few things that are less scary. I don't, I don't know anybody here served in the Navy. Um, I did, and I got to ride a ship halfway across the world. Um, there's not much more that's unsettling than being in the middle of a vast ocean in the middle of a storm. Now, for me, I was on a 90,000-ton aircraft carrier, well, LHD. Uh, we weathered that storm a little bit better than what these guys were experiencing in their little wooden boats with the sails on them. Same ocean, 
Same storm. So there's a, there's a few things that are less scary than being in the middle of the ocean in a storm. In a raging sea. Trauma is a good word to use. Melting of the soul is another good description. I, I was reading some stories as I got to this section of Scripture. I was reading some stories of some sailors. I was just reading some stories. And, and that was one of the quotes that I put in, in my sermon. The, my soul melted, one, one sailor said. My soul melted. So literally, there is terror that seizes the heart when you have no harbor in sight when you have no landing spot, when there is no solid ground around you and the storm is raging. Again, we reflect back on our Bible study this morning when we talk about the raging storm. How in the world do we get through that if we can't see land? If we have, if we have no solid ground in sight. So certainly for the lost soul, living apart from God and the hope that comes with Him is that. Their soul is melting. They have no hope. They're in a storm-tossed sea of terror. They're afraid to die. One of the things that is the joy of being a believer is that even if that tree would have landed on my wife's van and crushed my wife and son last Friday, that would not have been the last time I saw them. That hope and that beauty and that promise is driving for a believer. But people who don't know Jesus don't have that hope. It's just like their souls are melting in the middle of an ocean that has no land in sight. Temptation and sorrow and sufferings, wave after wave of this powerful adversary that keeps combating us. And here's the cry, verse 28. Look at verse 28. So that's the problem. They're in a raging storm. Verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. What's His response? He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and He brought them to their desired haven. Now they could see the haven. Now the, now the storm was passing. God's response, He stilled the storm. Now this doesn't mean that there weren't any more storms. This just means that the next storm they entered, they knew they had a haven. They were able to see through the fear. And they were able to not have their soul melt, but to have their soul excited that a deliverer was on their side. So he doesn't necessarily say there won't be any, any more storms. He just says, there's always going to be a haven for you when you go through one. So as we close, let's look at verse 32. This brings it all together. We should be over-the-top thankful for salvation. All of us can associate with this. But look at verse 32. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of elders. That's the place where we can 
come and express our thanksgiving to the Lord. The seat of the elders was the place where the elders would teach and the congregation would gather. This right here, right? This is what we do. The elders are teaching and the congregation is gathered and we're reminding each other of the goodness of God. We're lamenting with one another in the loss of family members. We're comforting one another as we experience pain. We're praying for one another as we experience worry about a child. This is the seat of the elders. This is the place that we gather and we come together and the response is this joyful singing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be gathering today. We're supposed to be getting together. We're supposed to be learning from the Word of God. It is a summons of gratitude of our salvation. It's actually what we do every Sunday. So this is something that's important. What's the problem? The problem is that God has delivered people from the storm, from the prison, from the illness. But they're not gathering at the seat of the elders. They're not coming together and continuing the fruit that will be, that will be, that will be produced from gathering together. So, what is God's response to this? If you look at verse 35 and verse 36, He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there He lets the hungry dwell. It's interesting. He says, the hungry dwell. But then, doesn't He just fill our bellies up and... What, how, how are we not hungry anymore? There, there He lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields. They plant vineyards and they get a fruitful yield. By His blessing, they multiply greatly. And He does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished, He doesn't say even if they are diminished. He says, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow. That means we will continue to be attacked by an adversary who seeks to destroy us. He can't have us eternally, but he can certainly have us in misery. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction. He is a constant protector, provider, and lover of His flock. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. I'm going to leave you with this final Scripture verse. One of my favorites. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6-7. through Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him and, our God, and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. This is actually a call for us to never stop 
telling people about Jesus. This is actually a call for us as we go through all of Psalm 107 and we, we experience all of that and we, we can relate in different ways throughout this passage. And then at the very end, he says, at the very end, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. I would challenge us, family, if we actually consider the steadfast love of the Lord, we'd never stop talking about it. Let's pray. Father, I thank You, Lord, for the opportunity to, to sort of run rapidly through this psalm today. There's so much more that we could experience in there. But God, thank You for preparing us as we gather with family and friends some will be those that we would consider lost someone who doesn't know the redeeming qualities of jesus someone who doesn't understand that a savior gave his gave up perfection in heaven and put on flesh and lived perfectly and died sacrificially and rose victoriously and and they don't have the hope of your return lord may we Consider the steadfast love of the Lord so much that we talk more about You. That it reminds us of the prison that You released us from. that the, the storm that You have given us haven in. The sickness that You have brought us back from the brink. Lord, may we be reminded. May we be thankful. May we be grateful. May we express that gratefulness by considering the steadfast love of the Lord. We love you and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.